0: This is exactly right. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the,
1: must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey?
0: <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's not easy, but like it's also not tragic and having to unlearn all of that messaging by way of falling in love with my kid that nobody talks about it and then nobody talks about lean into the love part of it and all of the emotional baggage otherwise and the finding meaning it will come out of Leaning into, I love this person, now what? As opposed to, oh my God, a feeding tube, what do we do?
1: Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place. One parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children your family, and all those you care about while living your life to the fullest. Today's show is Everything No One Tells You About Parenting a Disabled Child with Kelly Coleman. Kelly is a feature film development executive turned author and disability advocate. She serves on committees for Children's Hospital Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Unified School District, and Canine Companions. Her new book, which we are getting into today, is Everything No One Tells You About Parenting a Disabled Child, Your Guide to the Essential Systems, Services, and Supports, which stems from her own parenting experience, giving parents the tools to spend less time navigating the stuff and more time just loving their kids exactly as they are. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband, two children, and her son's trusty service dog. Kelly, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. I love your show, and I'm so excited to be here.
1: So happy to have this conversation. I have been in your book, and I first of all, congratulations it Thank um, you. it is a big damn deal what you have accomplished by not only the journey but the contents of it. And before we get into that, speaking of journey, tell us about who you were. 10 plus years ago when you had your former career, right? And life was going as you thought it was going. And then the universe always gives us these um, experiences.
0: The universe does give us experiences. That is well said. And I love just how neutral that is. (laughs) We get the experiences. So um, from what I remember of the before times, yes, so as you mentioned, I was a feature film development executive. I was working mostly in animation. I was a screenwriter. Had worked for Disney Animation, Sony Animation, um, and uh, my the extent of my practical life skills were um, coming up with ideas for and writing talking animal
1: movies. Mm. So
0: um,
1: we've we've watched and listened to many a lot of your work. I imagine. Yes. Yes,
0: nice. um, and and sometimes we do that about eighteen times a day in our household these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, my husband and I are both creatives, coming primarily from the world of animation, and um, you know, of course, we had everything figured out. Which, as soon as you say that, that's mm-hmm. when the universe says, "Oh, and here's some yes. stuff." Yes. Um, we have two amazing kids. I could just talk about them all the day all day long. They're both hilarious and wonderful and um, and fantastic. And it is a surprise to me more than anyone else that I'm writing in and loving the world of nonfiction because my world previously and career has always been fantastical and nonfiction. But as you know, when life throws you these curveballs and you choose how you respond to the curveballs, um, here we are in the world of disability and advocacy and parent caregiving. And I ended up writing the book that I desperately needed a decade ago and mm-hmm. that um, I know many others do as well.
1: Yes, this whole notion of how we think things are supposed to be is mm-hmm. such a funny Uh, Like as 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 I have lived and had life experiences and raised children, it's 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 just you you look back at what one's life view was and life perception, and the more one goes through life, and hopefully with that comes wisdom, you realize there is way more to this whole game, this whole existence than um, than we. I want to say, like to think, and I think we like to think certain things because it makes us not feel anxious and it makes us feel like we have control yes. over things. Yes. But as you said, what's that, that? saying is something like "Man plans and God laughs," something something yes. like that, right? We could call it "Universe laughs," right? It's just, um, man, we go, we, we end up on these trajectories and these paths, which are often both painful and yet Mm -hmm. highly meaningful, Mm -hmm. and then creates a new purpose and path, which is clearly, after reading Mm -hmm. your book, as what has happened for you.
0: Absolutely. And I love, and I know you've talked about this on previous podcasts as well, about the concept of finding meaning. And I don't remember if you've cited before um, David Kessler and his work, he mostly... um, his focus is grief and um, talking about, you know, working with all the stages of grief. And then he has, in his work, added the the this final step of finding meaning.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that gives us so much, such a reference point for the unexpected in life, whether it mm-hmm. is, as he talks about largely, actual death or whether it is the curveballs of life of um you know different path that you're on and mm-hmm. for us disability our our younger son has multiple disabilities um our older son does not um it was such a curveball for us and looking back over he's 10 now over the last about decade um It was unexpected because it was not a thing that was ever talked about. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of infuriates me because people are so afraid of disability. Yeah. That the answer is, let's just not talk about it. Let's just ignore that and let's pretend like that's not a thing. Because I think on some level, we all know it could happen to anyone at any time, including to, you know, our future children could be born with it or acquire a disability. Right. And by not talking about it, it perpetuates this horrible thing of disability is like the worst thing that could happen to anyone. And, oh, I pity this person. And what a tragedy. And like, oh my gosh, my kid's not a tragedy. Like, it's not easy. But like, it's also not tragic and having to unlearn all of that messaging mm-hmm. by way of falling in love with my kid mm-hmm. um, that nobody talks about it and then nobody talks about lean into the love part of it and mm-hmm. all of the emotional baggage otherwise and the finding meaning it will come out of leaning into, I love this person, now what? As opposed to, oh my God, a feeding tube. What do we do? Like,
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have such an interesting culture because as you were talking about grief and death and Mm -hmm. now disability, like two of the major topics our mainstream culture does not talk about, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. like, it's such, it seems like it's such this fear base, like, well, you know, we're all going to die and that's scary. And so we're not going to talk about it or, mm-hmm. and it's painful. We're not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And disability means that that that's bad and that's wrong and that's terrible. So we're not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And yes, like as you, as you wrote in the book, I, I, I wrote this down. According to the CDC, the center for uh, disease, every four and a half minutes a baby is born with a birth defect in the United States, mm-hmm. which is one in thirty-three. Mm-hmm. That is quite a high percentage. And then, overall, one in six children are disabled, which is, of course, like acquired disability throughout life. Um, that is a huge percentage of our population, like a huge percentage of our population. Mm-hmm. And as you write, yeah, the, or especially one of the, some one of the many experts that you interviewed said these are conversations that should happen for every person who um, is expecting a child. Here's Mm -hmm. all of the possibilities. Like, you know, you Mm -hmm. get the books. Now we get websites and get podcasts, but here's everything to be Mm -hmm. aware of when you're bringing this human into the world, which you have yet to meet and you have yet to know who they're going to be and how they're going to be.
0: Absolutely. And, I am on a mission to get that exact message to all of the hospital baby classes, to all of the OBGYNs and midwives and resources. It is as simple as saying, we're going to learn to diaper your baby in a sec, but we wanted to let you know, these are the percentages of kids that are born with disabilities It is nothing to fear, but you will need resources. If this is one of your children, Mm -hmm. because statistically speaking, it will be someone in this room. Come to us. We have resources. Now let's learn to diaper your baby. Literally, if you started with that, Mm -hmm. um, it gives parents a different entry point. It normalizes. It takes the air out of the balloon, and it changes the entry point from – Fear and inadequacy, right? To oh, there's a place I can go that has a resource, right? And it takes away the feeling of aloneness. And if we could start families with that, um, that would be a game changer, as you know. Um, I've, I've talked to I'm sure hundreds of families by now, and most of us have a different version of the exact same diagnosis story, which is Mm -hmm. basically being told your kid has a thing. Now go home, Google and cry. Right. And that's terrible, terrible. And we are just shuffled, shuffled off. And it, the, it is awkwardly presented. The doctors are uncomfortable at best, cold and dismissive at worst. And, um, literally go home, Google and cry. Like that's the marching orders. Mm -hmm. And, there's nothing given to us that makes us think disability is anything other than a horrible tragedy that has befallen No, like, gotta, right. It, right. can it be tragic? Sure. But can it just be Thursday? Yup, It can just right. be Thursday.
1: Right. And that's what I, I got besides all of your, um, wonderful humor and your own creativity and divergent thinking, which is throughout the book, um, which is so important. And you're the first to say, yeah, you have bad days too. And you've had bad moments too. Mm -hmm. And yet in the end or and in the beginning and in the middle, Mm -hmm. it is what it is, right? It's more of this kind of like how all life is and how I think many of us aspire to live, you know, oh, we're in traffic. We could go crazy over it or we could be like, I'm in traffic, <laughs> you know, like it's like yep. it, it, things are what they are. Our, our kids are what they are. And yep. um, we have a system and a s- societal norms that doesn't really allow us to think that way. We have to work really hard. And in your case, and so many of your um, disabled colleague parents, it's yep. like swimming upstream, like mm-hmm. swimming upstream. And in our family, we have a lot of neurodiversity Um, Mm -hmm. and so knowing it from those more invisible disabilities, as you point Mm -hmm. out, which we don't, you don't hit those until, um, school, but no one tells you that's even a whole world that you need to navigate or, or the percentages of people in this world who are neurodiverse, which keeps climbing. No, like that isn't even part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden there you are all alone.
0: Yep. There you are with no frame of reference and, You know, I know you often talk about, um, you know, we avoid the things that concern us and worry us. Um, Mm -hmm. Something that I I literally, before we jumped on the podcast, I was making a list of here are things that parents of kids with disabilities avoid. And I finally had to stop myself because I'm sure it's 30 plus things that are like huge life things. And one of the biggest things, and I did this in the beginning because of ignorance and fear and ableism and all the things, which Mm -hmm. I will be working on and powering through for forever, um, is being in communication with and following online actual real life disabled people, actual real life neurodivergent people, people who are living life differently than me. If everyone listening to this podcast says, I'm going to pull up disabled influencers. Uh, My kid has a diagnosis. Who are people in this space Mm -hmm. who are vocal about their own lives? What are organizations? I can follow them online. And when you follow actual disabled people and disabled run organizations and are friends, especially when you are friends with people in real life, Mm-hmm. it's not so scary
1: mm-hmm. because
0: when other people are living their lives differently than you and they're just living their lives it's real not scary
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and learning from other people's lived experience has informed so much of our parenting journey but also our journey as humans yes. and i think everyone even with out disabled kids, you know, think about which demographic boxes you check and mm-hmm. follow some people who check different boxes and they, they love the same things you love. They do the same things you do. And you know what? They might love differently, act differently, work, play all the things differently.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that is not only just as valid, but equally as beautiful as however you do all the things.
1: Absolutely. You, we know there's a lot of isms. You know, we talk Mm -hmm. a lot about racism as one of the main isms that we are trying to um, do better Mm -hmm. as a country and a world. And you talked about ableism. And so Mm -hmm. I want to talk, I want to spend a little time on ableism because it is a word that we need to continue to put out there for people to understand what that is. I feel like the ableism movement is like, it's just beginning compared to some of the other movements. And Mm -hmm. so tell everyone, I'm I'm thinking there's, there's many people listening who might not even heard that word before. And it's so much a part of how we live and how we think Mm -hmm. that we have to like pull this apart, just like racism. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. I love that you brought this up. So ableism, just like the other isms, is biased against a person based on the thing. So in this case, this is bias against a person based on their disability. And I'd like to start from the standpoint of everyone has some kind of bias about something that is just a human thing, um, which doesn't always work to our advantage. And it's okay to say, wow, I grew up with all these ableist ideas of like, don't look at this kid. He's he's disabled. Oh, pretend like it doesn't exist, which is just awful. Or even the flip side of that of like, oh, you're so inspirational because you're just living life in a disabled body. And then meanwhile, the person you're saying that to is like, nope, I'm just going to store to buy some baby carrots. Like we're good. Mm-hmm. Um, it just because you are disabled doesn't mean you are tragic, pitiable, inspirational, a superhero, like all of these things. um, It just is a part of who you may be. So ableism is something that is so deeply rooted in, you know, language and terms of whether it's that's so lame or the R word or what are you blind? Like all of these things that have gotten our way into language because we haven't considered the humans behind them. Mm -hmm. Um, People I highly recommend following and checking out. Tiffany Yu, Y-U, is a disabled activist and advocate who talks a ton about anti-ableism. Rebecca Coakley, who's the first expert featured in my book, um, who's disabled herself and working in disability rights and justice her whole career. Um, and really looking at how do we recognize within ourselves how we view people with disabilities. If someone tells you, Oh my gosh! My child has an undiagnosed genetic syndrome, cerebral palsy, feeding tube, epilepsy, autism, cortical vision impairment, microcephaly, sensory differences, um, phone, fine motor, gross motor deficits—all of these things. And you're like, "Wait, no human could have all that." Well, my son does. Um, mm-hmm. He's an overachiever. Um, <laughs> you know, what is your response? Is your response, "Oh, I'm so sorry," mm. or is your response, "Oh, tell me more about him."
1: That's so important. Like that is that right there. That is so important um, because many people don't know what to say. And I'll go back to when like people Mm -hmm. have a loved one who's passed. A lot of people say nothing. They avoid the person. They don't Mm -hmm. like, they don't know what like these tough conversations and just to be engaged and to be interested. I um, have interviewed on a previous show, an amazing individual who wrote a book um, who is disabled and Mm -hmm. As I was preparing my notes for her, as I was reading the book, I would write down, like, wow, she's she's inspiring me. And then I got to the part that she said, don't ever, don't ever, I don't want to ever hear that I'm an inspiration. Like, I'm a person. Like, I'm a right, you know, and, I, and so we talked about that on the show. I was like, wow, I hadn't, I hadn't thought that that could be something that would be taken not in the right way, which I think goes back to, as I understand it now, ableism. Like I am, mm-hmm. you're amazing because as opposed yeah. to you're just, you're you're an awesome human being.
0: I love this conversation and I wish just all adults, I wish there was a class on adulting where we talked about this sort of thing. Um, there's an amazing TED talk by a woman named Stella Young called I Am Not Your Inspiration. And Mm. she talks about people calling and viewing her as an inspiration just because she exists and goes out into the community in a disabled body. And, you know, her response is, but I haven't done anything. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And Mm. what the the subtext behind, oh, you're an inspiration just because you're disabled and you you know, went to the movie theater Mm -hmm. today. What's that saying is like, oh my gosh, if I was disabled, oh, what a tragedy that would be. And oh, you like, Mm. like yuck. Um, But what we can do is just be curious about other humans Mm -hmm. um, rather than, oh my gosh, your son is so inspirational because he went to the park or if I tell you about my kid, rather than the, oh, you poor thing, just say, oh, what what kind of stuff does he like doing? Oh, what grade is he in in school? Hmm. Just like you would with anyone else. Um, if you see a person whose disability is visible out in the world, you don't have to go up to them and be like, hi, how's it going? Blah, I'm anti-ableist. Look at me. Well, blah. Because you yeah. wouldn't do that with another human. Right. Just- Treat them like you would another human. Um, If your kids are staring at my kid while he's eating lunch through his feeding tube, rather than, oh my God, don't stare, get away, get away, which we've seen before. And I just feel like, oh gosh, that's sending a bad message. Mm -hmm. What we say, because of course people are going to stare because most people haven't seen a feeding tube. And I would be ignorant if I was like, how dare you think this is weird? Because- most of us mm-hmm. have never seen these things is especially with other kids. I give right. them the language of how to feel about this. If I see a kid staring, I say, how cool is this? Do you want to see?
1: Right. And right. by
0: saying, how cool is this? The response is, yeah, that is cool. And my son is very social, very outgoing. Um, so how, I facilitate him moving through the world and facilitate conversations is different than if he was a kid who is not giving consent for me to talk about him and talk about Mm -hmm. disability and talk about this part of our lives. Um, Consent is another big thing that I think we need to think about with our kids and especially kids who have different levels of communication. Um, There are so many different things in play and We can start looking at our own ableism of thinking about how would I react if I saw a kid with a feeding tube, an adult with a service dog? You know, what are these different things? Mm -hmm. Am I pitying? Am I falsely inspirationing? You know, all of these things? Or am I saying, oh, that's cool. She has a dog at the mall. Right. I'm going to go get some popcorn.
1: Um, Right. You know, we really do examine. These are, and and cornerstone of uh, the show is about awareness and parent awareness, which is a human individual adult awareness as the key to raising healthy, aware, and engaged kids. And so we do have to ask ourselves, what is our, you know, how are we thinking about this? What, what, what what behavior are we modeling? What are our kids seeing on our faces? And, you know, when you talked about the child who is, you know, staring, I'm thinking, God, how normal? like. Kids yes. are trying to absorb everything, is new, especially the young kids. Everything is new. And when you see a child who is disabled, which is still in the minority of the population, yes. and if you there's always the first time you're going to see someone in a wheelchair or someone with yes. a feeding tube, or whether it's in your class or your school out in the community, of course you're going to stare. You're trying to figure out what's going on. Yes. And so, what an important moment for that parent. To do what you are talking about, as opposed to I think how many of us sort of saw it, which is don't stare, don't look, that's rude. Which yes, which there is a side to that. To be fair, like because that that parent is not wanting the, the, that parent is not wanting the others to feel uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. it's just it's not enough. It's, it's 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 it falls short.
0: It it falls short, and you know it leans into our own inadequacies. And you and I come from the a generation where we're taught, just don't stare, pretend like they're not there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, yuck, I don't want people pretending like my kid doesn't exist. Cause that yeah. feels even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's okay to say, you know, if someone tells you something potentially heavy, you know, as we said, there are many heavy things that happen in life and unexpected things, um, It's okay to say to a person, I don't know how to respond to that. But if there is something you need from me, I'm here for that thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And even if you don't know what that thing is, we'll figure that out together because I am here for you in that. And you might not even know what that means. And somebody might say, Cool, I want the biggest, fanciest Starbucks drink right now because I'm having a hard time. So if you could go get that for me, it would be great. (laughs) And you know what? If it's someone you love, you do that for them. Exactly. Um, Like, it's okay to say, I don't know. Um, Kids might say, oh, what's wrong with that kid over there? And the answer might be, I don't know what is going on with that kid over there. Mm -hmm. But what I know is just because they're different doesn't mean how they are living life or how their body exists is wrong. There's not necessarily anything wrong with this kid. She just lives life differently. And how cool is that?
1: Right, right.
0: And we've had adults tend to be more awkward around us than kids do because mm-hmm. kids approach with genuine curiosity and especially the younger and smaller kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids will come up to us at the playground and say things like, hey, you've got a dog. Hey, why is your dog wearing a vest? They might say, Hey, why is your kid, you know, or not, they they actually talk to my my son. They're like, Hey, why aren't you talking? But you're telling, you're talking to me on your iPad and you're pressing the buttons and you're saying "Want look airplane and pointing up at the airplane and approaching with curiosity is exciting. And knowing that my kid might ask you questions about how you're living life because they might not understand something about you, and yeah. that's okay.
1: Hmm. Yes. Your friend Jill stated mm-hmm. we're all in the same ocean, but in very different boats. Yes. That is such an important metaphor. As we think about, you know, you meet one child with X, you've met one child with X, right? Like mm-hmm. there's so many differences to everyone's story and journey. So tell us about, I mean, not only your experience, but those, you know, and those you now have worked with, how do you, how do you embody this where we're, we all get it and you are an individual on your experience, with your experience? Mm-hmm.
0: I love that quote so much because my friend Jill is also a parent of a child with disabilities and she was referring specifically to, you know, the disability journey and the journey of a parent caregiver caring for children with disabilities. And we're all in this ocean of, you know, insurance and social services and red tape and medical appointments and therapies and IEPs and future planning, and all of these things. And within that, you know, I made the laundry list of things my kid has. Not everyone is dealing with seizures and feeding tubes and uh, communication devices, but I have friends whose children are aggressive, whose children are cognitively disabled, who are not cognitively disabled, whose disabilities are not visible, who are diagnosed later in life. Things might present differently in males versus females. There's the huge part of the conversation of there is privilege depending on which demographic boxes you check and how these systems will treat you and support you or not. And thinking about there's this ocean. You are not alone in the ocean, but sometimes when you're in that boat, it is just you in that boat. And connecting to communities and other families going through similar situations, connecting with real life disabled people, um, really makes us feel like, oh, I see how you row in that boat. Cool. I'm going to try that way. It worked. And even if it fails miserably. It gives you the power to not feel like you are just falling down into a bottomless pit, but to feel Mm -hmm. like you have some agency in this. Um, With us, when I feel the most helpless, I'm the person who's like, I need to make a list. I need to figure out, like I need to call my insurance company to figure out when that reimbursement is coming. I need to make sure this IEP goal is being followed up on. I need to find a concrete thing Mm -hmm. that I can have agency over so that when my kid is back to having seizures and I feel powerless and I'm not sleeping, there's something that I feel like I can have power over. Mm -hmm. And that keeps me rowing my individual boat and hopefully towards the other boats who are like, we got this.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. In all of this is the acceptance of the D word. Mm -hmm. And you are very clear that you and the disability community of Mm -hmm. disability People is not a bad word. We need to own this as um, it, it's like a stake in the ground. And and the other thing that I found interesting because I've been saying this my whole career is special needs. And you're like, no, no, mm-hmm. no more special needs, no well, more. I was saying that too. Yeah,
0: that was originally part of the book title. And yes. then I was, and then I talked to actual disabled people. Yes,
1: yes. yes. So let's talk about both of those. Um, yes. Why is Because again, again, with our ableism, disability Mm -hmm. is like this negative connotation. Mm -hmm. And yet the movement is to change that and Mm -hmm. to identify a group of people. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. I could talk nerdy language things all day long. This or where the comma goes, I'm in. Um, For me... I will not vilify anyone who uses the term special needs. I understand that it is a journey and a learning process. Many of us grew up learning that the word disability is bad or negative. The movement now is to say that is just a neutral description. When I say my son is disabled, I am not. I'm not dissing my kid. I He's amazing. Like, I talk about him all day long. Right. Um, I'm also not saying he has superpowers because he's disabled. Nope. I sure wish he did because mm-hmm. that would be so much fun because mm-hmm. I've seen The Incredibles and I know how these things happen. But it is just a neutral term. And the way that I encourage people to think about it is number one, which I learned from this book, which is so important. Disability is the word that is written into law. For example, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is protects everyone with disabilities, people perceived with disabilities, those associated with people with disabilities, but primary disabled people. Disab- disability is the word that is used in law. Special something or different whatever is not a word that offers protections or is used in law. So that is an objective way to say, let's use that. Also, as a person who is not disabled myself, I feel like I don't get to choose. Mm -hmm. So who gets to choose? The people who are disabled. And I know I have not talked to all disabled people and I know there will be people who might feel differently, I have yet to talk to a disabled person who says, I prefer the term special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to many people with disabilities who say it feels pandering and like you're treating me like a child when you tell me I'm special. You know what? I'm a Paralympic athlete
1: mm-hmm. who has
0: like won medals and has. I am a working professional and I have a career and I am a supervisor with a lot of direct reports and I'm disabled, I don't have special needs. Um, Right. That becomes very pandering very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's tricky for many reasons. Number one, many of us grew up with this language. Number two, it's also the word special is institutionalized in things like special education, special needs trusts. The words and the language... I believe eventually will change, but they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So I do talk about my son's special education program because that is what it is called in our district and in our country. But it was so awkward and uncomfortable for me to decide I'm going to say the word disabled and to say I have a disabled child, I have a child with disabilities. There's a lot of discussion over if we say disabled person or person with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And you know, ideally, we would leave that up to each individual because there are compelling arguments on both sides, but I encourage people to say, I'm going to use the word disabled even if it is uncomfortable or hard for me, because that is me rewiring my own ableism. And now I say it just as a neutral part of who my kid is. Um, it's no different than any other descriptor of who my kid mm-hmm. is or what color his hair is. Right. It just is. And
1: yeah. s-
0: becomes not a big deal.
1: It is. Like, I feel like as you're talking about that and, and imagining stepping into that and accepting that, it seems like this, the language and the energy around it, it feels like, the, I felt like, re- I feel relief. Like, it's more like, yes. it's just, it's like a breath of, like, it's just breathing. Like, it's yeah. just, this. it is a descriptor. <laughs> right yes. back to back to things are as they are as opposed to we always label good and bad and yes. black and white and all uh-huh. of these shades we like these value judgments yes. come with all these words and mm-hmm. just for something to be what it is yes feels refreshing that's the word i was mm-hmm. looking for it feels refreshing
0: yes and becomes a way to empower ourselves and our children and those in our community. When somebody says, I am disabled, my kid is disabled. I am part of the disability community, all of these things, Mm -hmm. then it's not great. It's not terrible. It is totally neutral. And what a relief that is. Mm -hmm. And if parents knew that, when their kids were first diagnosed of whatever mm-hmm. stage that is, it removes so much of the fear.
1: Earlier in the show, you talked about there needs to be a class that teaches adults um, about ableism. And you also, mm-hmm. for that said, everyone needs to learn about parents need to learn about all of the possibilities when they're having a child. So I'm just putting that out there for your 2024, 2025. I imagine, I imagine you having some online, um, asynchronous classes uh, for education, for the individual and for organizations and in- institutions. So mm-hmm. putting that out there for you.
0: Thank you. I think most of us, you know, we write the books we need to read and we put the things out there that we need to hear.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: boy, that's a class I sure needed.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And if we all knew how to respond to someone who said, I have this illness or there's been a death in my family or I lost a job or, you know, the hard things. As well as the not so hard things, like Mm -hmm. how do we interact with one another as humans and not assign our own values to their experience? Yes. And um, Mm -hmm. one of the experts in my book, Dr. Brian Scottko, who is a geneticist and has a Down syndrome clinic and has done tons of research on how to deliver a diagnosis and the research comes from families who have received these diagnoses, and being neutral in how you deliver information, and waiting for the response of the person who is receiving the information, and instead of saying, "Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, this is tragic. My heart bleeds for," like, mm-hmm. nope. Just say, "Here is information. Let mm-hmm. the person respond." And when we give other people, whether it's in this situation or others, we give people the space to respond Mm -hmm. to the things, then we can figure out how to actually support or serve or stay quiet Mm -hmm. or whatever the things are. Um, It's Mm. not about making ourselves feel better. Oh, as I'm sure you've heard, you know, I could go on with lists of all the awful things people say, you know, whether it's the, oh, I'm so sorry, or only special parents get special children or well, at least, blah." blah. nope.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Don't
0: want to hear it. Just want to hear that my baby has amazing hair. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's all I need. Which he does, by the way, in all those pictures. Yes. Yes, he does. (laughs) Um, this, that's such important research and so important, not only to, for parents to hear, but also for those in the medical community, the mental behavioral health community who we give lots of diagnoses and talks a lot about lots of diagnoses. And Mm -hmm. my experience has been that over the years, learning how to do this, um, hopefully better is, Everyone's, ex- everyone's response is so different. You can say the same thing to two different families or parents. And one, it takes it as it's more of a dev- it's devastating, mm-hmm. um, not an understatement there. And for other people, it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense you know, like that, that that makes, that makes absolute sense. You know, thank you. This has been a great process. And Mm -hmm. it, again, this could be the same exact situation. So I really Mm -hmm. like not only how you deliver it, but waiting to see where that person is, because you have no idea of where Mm -hmm. that person is, their life experience, their family experience, Mm -hmm. um, how new this is to their family or how not new because of genetics, these things are to their family.
0: Absolutely, and that holds true for whether a diagnosis comes prenatally, postnatally, at age one and a half, at age five, or at age forty. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever that is, um, we our son has literally done every test that it, every genetic test that is available. We're mm-hmm. part of the Undiagnosed Diseases Network, and. Um, Our whole team believes, and I absolutely believe that there is a genetic component that is the overall driver of his disabilities um, that we may or may not ever find. Um, For us, if we had gotten a genetic diagnosis a decade ago, we would have had a very different reaction than if we get a call today, because today it would feel like You know, our our quest has gotten us to the mountain or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Because it is information, and because we are now much more informed not only about disability, but about our kid and how great he is. And while I don't believe for him a diagnosis would change how we are doing anything in his life, how he is doing anything in his life, Mm -mm. but for it to potentially connect us with a community or to be the first person in that community. In which case, if we're the first, I totally want to name the syndrome because I don't want it to be like X five, seven, four G. I want it to Mm -hmm. be like, robot pizza unicorn syndrome or something.
1: (laughs) You would, you would. Yes, yes, I get that. Yes.
0: Why not? And how much fun would that be to come up with a logo for robot unicorn pizza syndrome? Yes. Um, Yes. So yeah, it's all very different for each individual. And if we can view a diagnosis as information and allow people to react however they want to react Mm-hmm. um, all we need to do is validate how they are feeling. Some people say, don't freak out. I say, you know what? If you need to freak out, freak out a little bit
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then collect yourself when you're ready. And then mm-hmm. we can talk about how to get yes. that reimbursement from your insurance.
1: Exactly. Which is again, the, the, your book is the manual. It is the manual that you, uh, the guidebook that you, Would have loved to have, and it has Mm -hmm. everything. It takes you all the way through from what is disability to diagnosis to services to the types of services to school meetings and law and IEPs to insurance reimbursement, you know, medical, Mm -hmm. everything. And I want to say there are two interviewing all these experts who are phenomenal individuals. There are two things that I just want to pull out that really jumped out for me in different ways. One is the letter to myself which is throughout the book which is so powerful and makes the the journey and experience so human for everyone who's reading it about mm-hmm. both the the emotion and the processing that goes with it and then also the resilience and the strength mm-hmm. and the acceptance. So mm-hmm. everyone Those are just, those are priceless. And then also templates. And I can say, like, this as someone who, like, if you tell me the word template, I'm like, ugh, like, I don't like templates. It's, yes, so boring and, uh." but this is different. Your templates are so valuable because they tell everyone what they need to know and how to document all of the essential information for. Each of these multitude of situations that they're going to go through with each system they're going to go through. So it becomes an anchoring and really okay. just this um, a system. It becomes mm-hmm. you've developed a system for people on this journey to guide them so they can manage, right? So they could um, get to the other shore as opposed to sink, which it can feel that way at times. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much for bringing up both of those. It was such a privilege to collect letters from other parents who are diverse in their own ability, demographic, all the things, as well as a wide range of diagnoses that their kids have. Um, come, but, you know, Back to your original question of what I was doing in the before times, um, I'm coming from super creative writing and fiction and screenwriting and I don't think I could write a book that's just like, eat your broccoli. Here are the things. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a doctor. But I deliver the book in a way that is actually how to drop the anchor, how to build your boat, whatever it is. You know, this book is the ocean that we're all in. And it's not saying, here is the thing you have to do. Nope. It's saying, here are the tools so you can build the journey. That works for you and that works for your kid. And some days the answer is we're all wearing pants. Today was a victory. And other days you're like, you know what? I named my successor guardians and I got my will together and I hung up on that therapist who's awful. And then I called back and fired him. Nope.
1: <laughs> Whatever it is.
0: Um, it's about building, building the things for yourself and- In my writing, I find that, you know, for this book and future books, I'm weirdly passionate about what are the super boring, often dreadful things that nobody wants to do, but we all have to do. Mm -hmm. And how do you make that not only palatable, but interesting and empowering and really kind of fun to read about? And, you know, again, back to your, all of your discussions of we avoid the things that we worry about and so many Parents of kids with disabilities have so many fears of if I'm not here, i.e. I'm going to die one day, like statistically there's a hundred percent chance of me dying at some mm-hmm. point, hopefully mm-hmm. in about a hundred years. Um, then what for my child who will not be able to live independently Um have employment that financially supports them, or if there's a question mark with that. And so many parents avoid that because they're worried about that. And therefore, it keeps them up all night, which keeps them worrying more, which keeps them um, avoiding more. And how do we take these things that are boring or scary and we make them palatable and understandable? You know, for the future planning, I talked to. Companies who do this for families, I also just cold emailed random people at the Department of Developmental Services and said, for families who have no other family for their child to go to, who have no financial resources, what do people do other Mm -hmm. than be terrified and avoid? And you know what? It's to the state's advantage if you figure this out, because otherwise it's on them and it's Mm -hmm. a mess. Mm-hmm. And much to my surprise, I got an email back with someone else copied, who is the expert on this with resources and direct phone numbers saying, mm-hmm. if you don't have the money, if you don't have the options, call this number, talk mm-hmm. to this person, email me your specific questions and we will help. So wow.
1: That's good all to of hear. a
0: sudden it's like, There is a path. If you don't have a computer with email at your home, go to your public library while your kid is at school and Google Indiana Department of Developmental Services and email a random person.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: you know what? More often than not, people will respond um, when you say, I'm I'm scared.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm
0: broke. I'm lost. I'm crying over this right can you help empathy, me empathy
1: empathy right
0: mm-hmm.
1: the human response to empathy we yeah. are wired we are wired for it yeah yes
0: and and i'm hoping that this book gives people the tools to tackle those things that are keeping them up at night mm-hmm. and by saying i'm just going to follow the template on page 76 i don't know if there's a template on page 76 but <laughs> we'll find out um I'm going to just follow this one template today so that I can start this one thing that works for me, or maybe you just take on a whole huge thing, but to be able to break things down into steps and my brain every single day just works in lists and this is lists, it's steps, it's questions, but it's also my personal stories and those letters from parents and the last letter in the book is my own letter. Which was the thing that was keeping me at, up at night because I didn't want to write because there was so much emotion attached to it. And now, the thing that I'm worried about with that is that I'm recording the audiobook soon mm. and I can't read it without bawling. Mm-hmm. So, it's going to be a yes. challenge to read that for an audiobook. Yes because I literally can't read it without crying because even a decade later, looking back on the start of our journey Mm
1: -hmm. is
0: still so raw and Mm -hmm. so emotional. And I think parents need to understand that feeling of this is so emotional for me
1: Mm -hmm.
0: might never go away. It might ebb and flow But what are you building around that to scaffold Mm -hmm. not only your child, but yourself and your own mental health, um, rather than trying to bury it, but Mm -hmm. building in a way that allows you both to function and to thrive?
1: Yes. I, um, my unsolicited uh, counsel is just be you. You're reading your book which makes really? it so much more real and authentic and for you to be emotional during the letter is exactly how it should be Thank and it you. will be very powerful.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I I hope so. I really um you know everything that is mentioned about my kids, my family, our journey is with the full consent of my husband and with our children and I really believe that our family's journey isn't just going to inspire families that they can do it, but give people the practical tools that when they're visiting a school, oh, here's a checklist of the things that I ask, and I'm just going to fill this out, um, that gives people the actual tools to create whatever their authentic journey is. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's exciting for us to use our stories to empower one another.
1: Yes, yes. Kelly, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Here it is. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on yourself, your kids, and or those you love.
0: I... Love that you ask this question and the range and diversity of answers that you get. Um, I'm glad you just encouraged me to cry when I need to, because mm-hmm. I might cry on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, in thinking about that, one very specific moment came to mind immediately. Um, years ago, our son was, we had his first seizure. We called 911, we were rushed to the hospital, we were in the emergency room, all the things. And in the hospital, things were controlled. And then he started seizing again. And it was the worst that it's been. And it was the convulsions and the glazed over and this look of fear on his face and the sounds he was making. And I called the doctor over as that ramped back up. And I said, We need to take care of this right now. And the doctor very casually said, We've ordered the medications from the pharmacy. We're waiting for the pharmacy to deliver those. You just sit tight. We're going to, I was like, No. We need, I can walk to the pharmacy. My husband can walk to the pharmacy. We can do this. We can do this. You can't just walk away. You can't do these things. When my son is in this state and the doctor just looked at me and told me that I need to calm down and that me being stressed out over this can be causing my son distress, which is going to make him feeling even feel even worse. And the moment that answers your question was what followed was that I said to him, no. My kid is seeing in this moment me advocating for him, Mm -hmm. me standing up for him, even when I am scared and I don't know what to do. He is seeing me do, obviously, here I go, um, do everything I can. Mm. perhaps even to keep him alive. I was upset. I was Mm -hmm. not yelling. I was not being unreasonable. But I was not going to let my kid get worse or perhaps even die because I didn't stand up for him. Mm. And the takeaway from that moment isn't just I need to stand up for my kid It isn't even just that I need to teach him and to model for him to stand up for himself. And he was four years old at the time. He says a while ago. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The takeaway is I am not just a parent. I am not just a parent who knows nothing about disability and is just along for the ride. But I am still that person I was before and I am still myself, and I need to bring myself, and as you say in your intro, the best version of myself, and lean into myself, my intuition, and what I know is right, even when I'm scared, even when I don't know what's happening, because the moment, and in your question, it's saying, you know, being a as a person or as a parent, for me, that moment is me as a person and me as a parent. Mm -hmm. It is inextricably linked. And whether that means one day I'm making my kids weird Halloween costumes or whether it means I am demanding that the pharmacy not take their time to keep my child from convulsing in the ER. um, I am bringing my full self to every bit of this. And I can't squash myself and who I am. Mm -hmm. And my great hope is that my kids, both of them, Mm -hmm. will fully lean into who they are in all of their different roles and not compartmentalize, but say, I am fully myself in every moment. And that is how I can best serve myself and my family and hopefully the world.
1: you that is powerful kelly that is really powerful and um you are a force you are a force you said thank at the you. end of your book which you just w- walked walked me right into i'm not out to change my child i'm out to change the world and you are you are so thank you, thank you for sharing your experience yourself. Um, you just, I just love how you just bring both in the book on your website, who you are, I love how you bring, like you bring your, who you fully are, your, your creativity, your sense of humor, your, uh, just your diet, your outside the box thinking. And, um, to the point that you made me like reading about templates. Okay. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> thank so you. So this, this is awesome. Colors. Yeah. So, Tell everyone where they can find your book soon to be released and also any other projects we should know about coming.
0: Yes. Um, I'm writing down right now. You made me like reading about templates because yeah. that made me day. <laughs> um, so kellycoleman.com. That's K-E-L-L-E-Y, Coleman, colema ncom My book, Everything No One Tells You About Parenting a Disabled Child is available for pre-order at all the book places, Amazon, Target, Barnes, Noble, as well as your local independent bookstores. And um, there will be lots of exciting things coming up on the website and you can follow me through social media there um, with... Pre-order bonuses, links to this podcast, all of the great things, future books to come, and uh, hopefully a little bit of humor here and there as well.
1: Absolutely. I I think that goes uh, without saying. Thank you for, again, sharing all of your experiences with us. And um, I know this is making a difference for, well, the book will, this podcast will, for all those listening and everyone, you know what you need to do. Please send this to everyone and anyone that you think will benefit. Um, this is the, like this is our community. This is our community. These are humans of all shapes, sizes, profiles. I, this is this is the human community that we're all a part of. That we're all leaning into and embracing and looking to continue to move towards acceptance for all. Thank you for being a part of our community. Thank you for your five-star reviews. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. Try to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummer Man, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, at Parent Footprint Podcast, and on Twitter, at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com.